Hi everybody and welcome to the ARC360 podcast brought to you in association with corporate partners BASF, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Innovation Group, Merca, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, SNG Response and Sherwin-Williams as well as our partners Aztec, the Green Parts Specialists in Data and Prasco UK. Please do check out all of these businesses for any of your automotive claims, repair or supply chain needs. Welcome along everybody to the podcast where each month we catch up with a leading figure from within the motor insurance claims sector. In this episode we catch up with Amy Brettel, Head of Customer UK Claims Zurich Insurance UK, where she provides us with an insight into why she loves what she does, discusses the forever changing dynamics in satisfying customer wants and needs and explores the role technology has to play in the claims process now and into the future. She also reveals her inner librarian and why her and Pigeon's paths should not cross. Enjoy the podcast. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Amy. Really good to see you and catch up. Thank you very much for for your time today. My absolute pleasure. So, Head of Customer uh, within UK Claims at Zurich. Interesting title, first and foremost. I'm sure there's people sat there thinking, okay, what does that involve? Well, so what does it entail? So I have to, I've got the best job in the company because... Um, Don't tell anyone that. Yeah, so, so I, I guess the, the reason I joined insurance or one of the reasons I was drawn to insurance is for me, it's it's fundamentally a social product. You know, we're, we're there when some of the worst things happen in people's lives. You know, their businesses are at risk. You know, their family need, need care. You know, actually outside of that, you know, we allow organisations, economies, societies to take risk and hopefully move them on. So, you know, for me, that's no truer than when a claim. You kind of really see that social value come to the fore. So, first of all, to be in our claims function is, is a real honour. But then to be at the kind of very edge of our claims function, uh, dealing with our customers is an even greater honour. And I, I just, I feel really lucky. I, I get to work with brilliant people and effectively what my job is every single day advocating on behalf of our customers. So it's, it's a job I love. It's got, I guess, three key areas. The kind of, I guess the first bit is that the team are responsible for looking after customers and brokers to make sure that they get all the support that they need from Zurich, that we have built that promise. Um, so that falls into kind of like a relationship management area. So we've got a number of claims relationship managers that, that look after um, you know, a, a huge variety of customers and, and broker partners. The second area is market insight and proposition. So this is all about making sure that we understand what's going on in the world outside Zurich. There's no point us kind of operating in our little bubble. We've got our customer listening program. We've got market research. And really, it's about bringing all of that insight back in and working how we need to respond. So, you know, a a really good example for me there is understanding the rise of mental health as a, a, a real area that society needs to tackle. And, you know, through that kind of research, and you know, we did some, some research that shows actually how mental health is impacted at point of claim and there's some really worrying statistics attached to that so part of our response was to create a, a free counseling service for claimants and their families to, to try to play our part in, in that so it's about that what are the real world problems and, and trying to find solutions to them as part of our claims proposition and then the last bit is all of our digital activity so <laughs> i say just all our digital activity I and mean, that's that's clearly a huge focus for us it's a huge focus for any organization it's a huge focus for the industry but we have a, a digital team that are leading our efforts and doing a, a sterling job at helping us become more more agile and exploit technologies in that space. So it's brilliant. 
I absolutely love it. Varied, busy, great people, fantastic customer interaction. Yeah, really, really good job. It's well, you, you make it sound like a wonderful place to be, and that's such a good thing to hear people enjoying their their job so so much. And and it is a very interesting place to be because you are between the two, aren't you? Really, very much so. Kind of listening in, being fed information from one side, relaying it back the other way, yeah. and then kind of the flow going the other way as well. So, yeah. a fascinating sort of um, transitional role there that, you, that you've got. And is, is there any like a typical day? There's not, but that's what I love about it. I mean. My day go, it can go from anything from you know big strategic topics, you know, future of work, what's the world going to look like in 2035, I'm executing on our digital strategy and thinking about you know new technologies that we should be investigating, right down to kind of helping individuals solve problems, be that my team or be that individual customer problems that have come to me, and sort of pretty much everything in between. So I never quite know what my day is going to entail. I tend to know it's going to be awesome because I you know. I love what I do. The consistent thing is that throughout all those activities, I'm being an advocate for our customers. And that's a sort of consistent thing. And I guess what gets me, I get to help people, you know, be, be it my team, be it, you know, the customers and, and partners that we represent. But we're genuinely and hopefully positively impacting people's lives. And that's what kind of gives me a kick and gets me out of bed in the morning. So not not a typical day, but there's a consistent theme, I a guess, consistent those days. Theme. And what a lovely theme that is to have too as well. So, yeah, uh, I think so. Hey, what a, what a good place to be. Yeah. Now, in terms of places to be then, you, you kind of, you know, you didn't just all of a sudden walk into this role here. How did you get to, uh, to be where you are today? That's a good question. So I first became interested in the insurance sector. I was, I don't know, 14, 15 years old. Do you remember doing those surveys at school where it was like, tick the box, you like the subjects you're good at. Oh, these are the careers you should have. Yeah. 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 So I did one of those surveys and it popped out that I might want to consider this career called an actuarial science. Ne- never heard of it before. I sort of, I liked maths. I enjoyed real world problem solving. It seemed to me like a sort of real world application of, of numbers, which I'd, I'd always enjoyed as a kid. So I went on to university, had an economics degree. And I guess at that point then, you know, if you're running out of beer money, you realise you, you've got to find a job in the real world. You, you start to think about what you should be doing with your life. So this sort of concept of actuarial science came back into my head and I did, did a bit more sort of investigations about it and I started to go to the career fairs, et cetera, and actually it really grabbed me. And so I applied to a number of kind of graduate programmes, was particularly drawn to Zurich because of the people I met, the culture here, the, the sort of charitable endeavours that, that the organisation had, um, and was lucky enough to secure a job on their graduate programme as an actuary. So when I tell you I started out, I guess almost the very core of our organisation I think of the organisation as a sphere and claims being on the very edge, kind of interacting with their customers every day, I probably started out right in the middle. And if you told me that 15 years later I'd sort of be on the very edge, I probably wouldn't have believed you. Um, so so I, I guess I'm not sure anybody has ever gone from actuary to customer claims before, but, but maybe if anyone's listening to this and has had a similar journey, let me know because I'd, I'd, I'd love to find them. I've done a whole host of things in between. So actuarial science gave me a really good understanding of how insurance works, how our premiums come in, everything that happens in between, sort of how, how an organisation you know, makes a sustainable profit. But I was always drawn to getting closer to the edge of the organisation. So I've done um, a number of strategic roles. So I worked for an MD who had responsibility for an end-to-end business unit, gave me a really great breadth about how all the functions work together on a sort of um, smaller scale. I have run PL, so I've been responsible for you know, parts of our business. I 
I did a chief of staff job working for our chief exec, so doing people, culture, strategy, and an A, which was just a really great opportunity to sort of look around the whole organisation. And then after that role, I, I moved into claims. And it was just, I'd been drawn to that part of the organisation for the reasons I talked about before in terms of that connectivity to customer and really evident social value. So it's been a bit of an odd journey from 14 years old to here, but yeah, it was that, it was that test. Well, not, not test, that survey that told me what career I should have. <laughs> I, at least started out there, even if I'm, I'm not sure that I'll ever go back there. <laughs> You're probably one of the very few that that test actually realised their vocation for. So well, uh... yeah, to, to some degree. I, I sort of spent five years in actuarial science and it did give me a brilliant grounding, but I knew quite quickly, I knew after six or nine months that I didn't want to be an actuary. Yeah. Um, so it definitely put me in the wrong place in insurance, but insurance is definitely a sector that appeals to me hugely so yeah it at least got me through the door into insurance even if it wasn't just absolutely career, and obviously career path that was my zurich is the company for you no two ways about that and what, and what a journey as well and it's, it's really interesting you know many people would kind of uh, listening to this would probably say you've ended up in the right place now i.e in claims um <laughs> being advocates of that obviously but um but yeah you know learning all those elements of the business along the way must be really beneficial when you come to kind of as you say on the edge of where you are between that kind of customer and relating back to the business itself so it's fascinating completely because i think it gives you a different perspective but also the connectivity that it's enabled me to have across the different parts of the insurance value chain and understand the role that claims plays i think has been really really valuable because often when we're trying to solve a customer problem in claims there are upstream or downstream implications of that so the ability to be able to either connect with my colleagues that I still know or indeed understand the connectivity has been really valuable. So, yeah. Okay, so let's kind of um, bring it back to uh, to where we are today. So head of customer and customer expectations. You know, the, the world has changed significantly in the past few years. Arguably, we were kind of already on that transitional path to an awful lot that has been accelerated um, over that period. But how have you know customer expectations evolved in recent times from from your perspective in terms of insurance claims specifically i mean there's the kind of obvious things that people talk about in terms of speed of service transparency you know the rise of digital and kind of omni-channel experiences i think the bit that i would call out that perhaps we don't talk about as often is it's not something we're great at either as a claims bunch of professionals or indeed as an industry but but that human element and I really think that's where we can differentiate ourselves and I actually think the sort of last couple of years have really brought up to a head and for me at point of claim it's about how you make people feel how supported you make them feel I think that's become even more important you know I talk about COVID being the first opportunity that we saw into each other's lives as colleagues as as customers and, and insurers you know, literally, like you're sitting into my house now, at least it's tidy, I think. Um, you know, we heard each other's dogs, children, as we were talking about before. And that's created a different kind of connection. And also the, it's the first time that we start to ask people, how are you? And genuinely listen to the answer. And I think through that period, I saw some amazing things happen in terms of how our customers responded to our people, in terms of the trust and the empathy and, and some of the sort of feedback that we got through that time was, was some of the sort of strongest customer feedback I, I think we've seen. And for me, that's almost part of the expectation that I think we need to hold on to because the technology will evolve. The way that people want to interact with us will change. Their expectations of how quickly we get back to them, through what channel we get back to them, all sorts of things will evolve. But how we do some of that interaction, I think, is the bit that we need to continue to reflect on. 
does, does that make sense no it does yeah absolutely and i th- and i think what's really interesting that sits behind that is is the way that people choose to do it I, you know, kind of having the options available to you you know mm-hmm. some people refer prefer to pick up the phone some people might prefer to do it the way we're doing things you know um, other people might prefer to do yeah. it through an app but it's having that same sort of outcome or end get yeah. end goal isn't it that how can i make that person yeah. regardless of how they interact with me feel valued and, and support feel better yeah yeah and, and also I, you make an interesting point as well though because i think i've seen people fall into the trap of thinking that somebody's preference is static and, and actually I, I think when you talk about customer expectation we, you need to remember that changes so a customer's preference is an expectation that policy bind may be quite different to policy claim they're completely different transactions but also across the life cycle of a claim they, they could change you know mm. if, if somebody really needs has, has kind of got into a, a brick wall and needs your help, they're perhaps more likely to phone you. Whereas if it's a, a more straightforward sort of um, process, they, they may be very happy on some of those digital channels. So I think making sure that we don't assume expectation, even for a single customer, is consistent across an insurance relationship is really important. Really interesting. Human psychology comes into play oh, in a big way there, doesn't it? Yeah, we're not <laughs> going to go down that road right now. <laughs> not, on a, not on a Friday afternoon. We haven't, we haven't got time for that. <laughs> dear me, dear me. Quick, but um, no, fascinating insight. And um, so in turn, I suppose, you know, linking with that then, how has sort of claims relationship management changed as a result of those customer mm. expectations, wants, needs? I think it's just becoming even more important, you know, as the sort of, technology takes away some of the doing the relationship and the engagement with the customer becomes your opportunity to differentiate it becomes even more what what of a a usp for people so i I think it's it's importance and the focus on it as a sort of i guess an equivalent technical skill we're we're quite good aren't we in in the claims profession we're 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 techies we're we're a bit bit geeky really which is great because i am too and you know we, we love what we do but but actually i think trying to think about customer relationship, customer experience, customer service skills as a technical skill, I think is going to be really important as we move forward. And it's something that I think the industry probably still need to focus on, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, well, you know, I suppose in all, all in our in our own little ways, there's, you know, always things that you can improve, change, Definitely. build upon. It's um, an opportunity. It is. It's, it's great. It's, it's, you know, it's something that... that that human psychology type thing it, it it fascinates me sports psychology all these kind of things yeah. i just think yes we know an awful lot is uh, between our two ears is a uh, is an awful lot we don't know still so uh, yeah. it's yeah. incredible sorry just one other point um i thought of actually I, I guess the the other thing in terms of how relationship management changes is pre-covid the, the teams that i've got that do directly do the relationship management would have been out and about they would have you know a lot of face-to-face relationships with their customers and, and actually building relationships in a digital environment or a, you know, not a face-to-face environment requires a very different skill set. And actually us thinking about equipping people with the right skills to, be, to, to kind of build those deeper, meaningful relationships when you may never meet somebody yeah. is, is sort of quite an interesting dynamic for us to work through. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure there's probably, speaking to somebody the other day who works in a big organisation, some of their colleagues joined two years ago. They've not still not met them, but now it's sort of starting to slowly get back to going into headquarters, into the office and things. They're starting to meet those uh, yeah. those colleagues that they've only yeah. ever met digitally. Yeah. So interesting but times. There's a fit side to it as well, though, in that if I take Zurich, you know, big global organisation, I probably feel more connected to my colleagues across the globe than I've ever felt because technology is just 
people that I'd spoken to on the phone for years, I finally actually get to sort of <laughs> tear into their into their uh, living rooms, or whatever. So, it, in in a way, actually, it's helped. It has helped bring people closer together that would maybe have not had the opportunity. So, yeah. Interesting. So claims claims technology. We're touching upon kind of all the all the key subject areas here, but what role does technology have to play in in claims and customer interactions today and, and we've probably covered some of that already but today and in the future arguably and is it a must-have or is it still a nice to have and and again does that depend on the individual situation and again behind all of that this is a multi-pronged question for yeah, you but you're, you're really really making yes, me work sorry <laughs> um but again the human element something has got to back up the technology in one way shape or form so how does it all kind of piece together from where you sit yeah. Okay. Let, let me try and break it down. So is technology a must have or a nice to have? I think it's a must have. I, I mean, just it's so prolific in our everyday lives. Now it goes back to your sort of comment earlier about being able to offer choice and, and customer expectation now is that that choice is there. It's kind of in our everyday lives, isn't it? It's not like, you know, when you walk into the world of insurance, you forget all the things you know about how you shop, you know, how you travel, you know, how you go about your daily lives. That's a customer's sphere of reference. So I think it's a must-have. I think the real, and, and then sort of how it links into the human bit, it's the opportunity that the two can create together. So for me, the real sweet spot in technology, it, it, I guess it's twofold. One, it's to remove some of the kind of manual, non-human processes that take up our people's time to free them up to really wrap our arms around a customer. Um, and the second is actually how you can differentiate and create a more meaningful, a more personalised, a more streamlined customer experience. And, and there's some great technologies out there that, that allow you to do that. So for me, it's the sort of opportunity to free people up to be more human and the opportunity to create you know, really interesting and supportive customer experiences. With kind of that thought process, right? is the aim that, I use the term claims handlers, that might not be the correct terminology, but are we kind of now looking at them in a different kind of sphere skill set to have? Yeah, I think in places we are, and I think the industry will evolve at, at different rates, but I think this concept of almost, like, like if I take ethanol, for example, actually turning that into like a customer care space rather than sort of perhaps the sort of call centre type environment that, that mm. we kind of know today, but actually that being a, a customer support function where actually you've got technology that's helping make some of the simple decisions or doing some of the processing. So actually as a handler, you can be maybe, yeah, maybe right. Maybe handler's not even the right word in the future, but maybe your, your customer, your customer service agent is helping guide people through the process or explaining things to them, you know, checking that they're okay based on what's just happened rather than actually having to kind of input things into systems or, you know, um, go through technical decision-making processes. If, if some of that can be taken away, they can really be there listening to and supporting customers. So I do think the role changes. Yeah, you become a lot, an awful lot more personable in that relationship then rather than process, yeah. I suppose, driven. Yeah, but, um, absolutely. Interesting. Again, skipping around a little bit here, but we'll kind of move things on now. Uh, another obviously huge topic and for all the right reasons at the moment a kind of uh, ESG CSR policies which lots of it dominated around environmental thinking at the moment and and for you know as I say for all the good reasons and the right reasons but what you know impact is this having in terms of 
again, that relationship with customer and, and how customer views businesses, et cetera. Um, there's a sort of, you know, anecdotal information around at the moment that, uh, you know, customers are far more basing their purchases, relationships with organizations that, that show these, you know, right credentials as far as they see them. So how is it sort of panning out as, as you sat in the middle of it all, I suppose? I think it's such a fascinating and important area and something I feel really quite passionate about. And it, it goes back to me that fundamentally insurance creates social value. You know, I go back, I reflect um, with your, with, you know, with the industry that put fire hydrants on the streets, you know, with the industry that put sprinklers into schools, you know, we, we've played some really important roles throughout history. And I think we've absolutely got the opportunity to, to be a major player as an industry in, in tackling some of the sustainability challenges that face us. So it's something I, I feel deeply passionate about. There's a phrase that I heard, oh God, a good few number of years back now, um, when I was involved in some work around local, local um, government procurement and the launch of something called the Social Value Act. Uh, and there was an MP, Hazel Blears, and I was lucky enough to, to spend some time, and she talked about doing good is good business. And, and I think that's such a lovely sentiment and one that I've tried to sort of carry forward with me. And she makes a really good point. And actually, to, to your comment, I think now customers across, you know, whether it's big commercial customers, whether it's individual consumers, you know, um, whether it's, you know, small businesses in between, they're, they're all asking of each other, not just what am I buying, but who am I buying from? Who, mm -hmm. who am I interacting with? So I think it, it's a little bit like technology. I think it's becoming really a business imperative which for me is great because it's a societal imperative and if it becomes a business imperative you know you'll move forward but there are some specific things I think again one of the things that really attracted me to this role is that I knew I would be taking on the sort of um, propositional elements and I, I talked to David who's, who's my boss our chief claims officer about sustainability and the role in that and it was really high on his priority list and for me what's been really really exciting and where I think we'll get to the sweet spot is not just doing this as something at the side of what we do, but actually bring it into the core of our proposition. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I talked earlier about some of the stuff we've done around mental health. You know, we've bought on green parts, we've um, bought on build back better solutions. So, you know, repair not replace type mindset, actually going right to the core of our proposition and thinking about what's the role that we can play in making things more sustainable, making customers more sustainable, making our world more sustainable, rather than doing it something that's a nice to have on the side of the desk. And I think for me, that's, that's the real opportunity embedding this stuff in core business and as you said Sorry, i've rambled there but, <laughs> but i feel no. really passionate about this stuff so. well then you know, hey and good to hear and, we, and you know we, we all should be if you know if we're not already goodness me um but it, it's really interesting that because when it becomes part of your dna and truly part of that then you can start to see some major shifts in how you do things and and how businesses operate mm -hmm. and i think it's great you know the, the culture element I say, you know, I'm using this very broadly, but we are all now getting it, understanding it, the, the need for it. And, and, you know, a lot of organisations like yourselves, it's really getting ingrained in there now. And you can see that from, therefore, the results of the business is kind of, you know, direction you're moving in. So it's fascinating. And yeah. I think in the years to come, it's, it's going to be really interesting. I think um, it's, um, it's important that we, we don't just associate sustainability with um, environment, though. You know, the S&G of ESG are often um, left a bit behind, aren't they? And I mean, the way that sort of Zurich looks at it, we, we look at it from a, a sort of climate and planet perspective, a, a data and a responsibility around data and the importance of data, and then a sort of people element. And actually, a, a big part of that people element is about, I guess, going back to the technology and is the role going to change? 
as a, as a large business, as a large industry, we have a responsibility to help people reskill. Else we're, we're going to have a, a kind of gap in society where people need very different skills but don't have them because the jobs of tomorrow look very different from the jobs of today. So I, I think as organisations and as an industry, we need to consider the wider elements of ESG and not just the sort of climate-related elements. They perhaps don't get as loud a voice sometimes. No, and I think that, and, and that's very true. And we did a webinar a couple of weeks back where, where we talked about that kind of very thing. It obviously dominates the headlines at the moment, but behind that are, you know, the other areas that equally require as much yeah. attention and, and kind of, you know, at the moment are probably taking a little bit of a backseat in terms of headlines, but equally important. So particular trends, we're going to do a little bit of kind of uh, in the future. Oh, um, looking now but um what do you see emerging in relation to customer engagement short strict medium term are we going to see significant changes are we going to see a continuation of what we've experienced or as the world gets back to dare i say it some form of normality will we see a, a revert to type of any description i'm hearing a lot of people at the moment talk about like sort of post-pandemic world and i'm not sure i'm not sure we're there yet so i think there's still a lot of change to go is i think to be honest as a society we're not really going to know what's hit us for some years to come and I think we need to be alive to the fact that expectations customer expectations I don't think they will settle for me it's probably about not so about not so much about trying to understand how expectation might change but making sure that we're set up to respond to whatever comes so so for me it's about creating an agility and a change mindset and a responsiveness innovation culture and all of those good things that mean actually it's about five years into the future who knows, like, who knows? as I said you know 14 year old Amy doing that survey would not have predicted where she is today I just don't think we'll ever know exactly what the future will hold but making sure that we are ready to respond to whatever comes at us and that for me is more about culture and the way that you build things so so I, I, I don't know I, I guess a good example for me when I talk about my team being responsible for the digital strategy we're trying to build a system that is flexible so it's got a spine it's got a core handling spine but actually through the use of things like apis it's really easy to plug stuff in but just as importantly we can plug stuff out so, so actually you can respond to to the changing environment and changing customer need well there you go i think you've answered that one quite nicely right well look at that i mean we've covered off the key questions we've done that very smoothly haven't we very succinctly i have to say so quick fire question round now and it's meant to be quick fire. I don't, I, those that know me, I'm pretty verbose. I don't know if this is going to be that quick. <laughs> <laughs> so here we go. Here's, here's the first one. What one thing might not many people know about you? I'm petrified of pigeons. Petrified of pigeons? Yeah. Okay. Well, I've never heard that one before. I don't like them God, at all. Okay. Like, you know, what's, is it in Mary Poppins? No, <laughs> Home Alone, the scene when she's feeding all the pigeons. Oh, yes. my gosh. Oh, wow. No, I don't okay. know whether maybe that, that film includes me, but I don't like pigeons. <laughs> right. Is there an official terminology for, for this? I, I've never... I, oh, I bet there is. I should look that it up. It must be, mustn't there? It, it would sound far more sophisticated if I said blah, blah, blah phobia. You could baffle everyone with that. Going, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so, um, you give me that. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> what would your alter ego be doing as a career right now? Right. Okay. T- two thoughts. When I was a child, I wanted to be a librarian. So perhaps some version of me somewhere is a librarian. I don't know why. I love books, love reading, so it was a big part of my childhood. 
again, those that know me, being quiet is not something I'm good at. So I'm, I'm not sure that my alter ego would have fared particularly well in a, in a quiet environment. I think the other part of me, I love travel. So maybe a, a world explorer. Yeah, that'd, yeah, that'd be good. Librarian or world explorer. Yeah, quite, two quite extremes there. Quite opposite ends of the spectrum, those two. But still, there you go. Best bit of business advice you've ever heard, seen or received? I hate questions like this because I've been lucky to work with amazing people who've really helped shape my thinking. Rather than a bit of business advice, can I give you a book recommendation? I think it's Oh, of course. Yeah, we like book recommendations, yes. So I have had the privilege of hearing from lots of amazing speakers during my time at Zurich. But we heard from a lady called Dr. Sabrina Cohen-Hatton a couple of weeks ago. So she is a chief firefighter, uh, a lady, which uh, I guess is probably not what we would typically associate with a fire. And her, I mean, her personal story is just an abs- absolutely incredible one. So I would absolutely recommend her book, which is called, in fact, it was on my, The Heat of the Moment, Dr. Sabrina Cohen-Hatton, The Heat of the Moment. Excellent. So there we go, everybody. I am about to start her book, but having heard her story sort of live so many great bits of advice for business but also for life interesting good stuff right okay that's one to keep our eyes peeled on and here's the one here's the one that always kind of you know divides the nation so to speak self-driving vehicles should we ever get to that point for you yes or no and why for me it's a yes um if i think about my very first car versus the car that's on my drive now and how advanced the technology has moved on and i I'm still young, so a short space of time and how it will evolve again, I, I really do think we'll get there. And for me, my car is, is sort of semi-autonomous. And, and actually just, I did a long drive back from Cardiff, so two and a half, three hours late at night, and I was able to use some of the self-drive functionality. And when I got home, I was so much less tired than I had been. It was dark, it was raining, you know, horrible driving conditions. But how I felt when I walked through the door in terms of my attention span, my capacity, how alert I still was, was so different to doing that journey in a car while I was doing everything. So for me, there's, there was, it was a really interesting reflection point about the opportunity technology has to help us. Great stuff. Hey, look at that. You've done it. Quick fire question round done. And oh. all in the space of a couple of minutes. Well, Amy, thank you so much for your time today. Really, really appreciate it. And um, it's been wonderful to gain a, a little glimpse into your world and uh, and all the wonderful things that you're up to and Zurich are up to um, in terms of claims and that customer relationship. So thank you very much indeed. Thank you so much for asking me to, to come along. It's been a pleasure. So there you have it, a great insight into how Zurich is working hard to deliver everything its customers want and more by listening, learning and shaping its operations accordingly. What's clear is that there is no quick fix or easy win, but a dedicated, deep-rooted culture to developing approaches and processes that aim to deliver what the business believes is the right thing to do. A huge thank you to Amy for taking the time to talk to us. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did recording it. Many thanks for listening. You've been enjoying the ARC360 podcast brought to you in association with corporate partners BASF, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Innovation Group, Merca, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, SNG Response and Sherwin-Williams, as well as our partners Aztec, the Green Parts Specialists in Darsa, Presco UK. Look forward to catching up with you again soon.